You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore data. Well, today is going to be, and I can't tell you whether it's going to be the whole day or not, but today is going to be what I'm calling Receipts Day. Um, A lot of differing opinions out there. Some people clearly high on what the Bears are doing. Some are not quite as much. Doesn't matter. We're going to go over some of the stuff that's being said about Packers, Bears. Been talking a lot about what what Bears fans think. And um, again, they're way too optimistic, many of them. But what about Bears media? What about NFL media? What about the betting folks? Because again, it's easy to run your mouth when your money isn't on the line. What about the guys with money on the line? How, how, how hyped are they on what the Bears did? Just, just curious. So we're going to poke around a little bit. We're going to find out where everybody stands. Before we get there very quickly, though, there's a little bit of, of cleanup that I need to do because um, I keep wanting to do things and then I forget to do it. Uh, a lot of it has to do with Packernet After Dark giving me really good ideas and then, um, you know, I forget about it. In this case, JJ called in a couple nights ago and mentioned the Packers record after a loss. Now, I was going to look it up live, and then I realized, nope, that's not really what I do here. I don't do work on Packernet after dark. I save that for the other show. So let's look at some of the losses the Packers have had, or the, more like the games after. But the first time the Green Bay Packers lost under Matt LaFleur was against the Philadelphia Eagles. They lost 34-27. to The next game, they played the Dallas Cowboys. Not the greatest team. They ended 8-8, eight and eight, but they beat them 34-24. to 24. Next game they lost was to the LA Chargers. They came back the next week, beat the Panthers 24-16. They, beat, uh, they lost to the 49ers 37-8, right? Completely embarrassing, out of a bye week, obviously. And they came back and beat the Giants 31-13. In 2020, they got embarrassed by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers 38-10. The next week, they beat the Texans 35-20. They lost to the Vikings, 28-22. They beat the 49ers, 34-17. They lost to the Colts, 31-34. The next week, they beat the Bears, 41-25. Last year, after losing to the Saints, 38-3, they beat the Lions, 35-17. After losing to the Chiefs, 13-7, we went to Seattle, beat them 17-0. After losing to the Vikings, 31-34, they beat the Rams, 36-28. Technically, the Packers' first ever back-to-back loss, if you're not counting the bye week as some kind of a magical thing that doesn't count back-to-back games, was losing to the Lions 30-37 to and then losing to the 49ers 10-13. to And if you're not counting the next season, they're technically 0-3 the last three games. I'm not really doing that because then this wouldn't count anyways because we lost week one last year also. The point is, not including playoffs and not including the next season, the Packers have never lost back-to-back games in the regular season. And again, the scores for the offense after a loss have been 36-17, but shut out by the defense, 35, 
41, 34, 35, 31, 24, and 34. Now, I can't guarantee you anything, but if this isn't primed to be another 34-point or 42-point game, I don't know what is. The Bears are always just a get-right game. I mean, listen, it's not even just a matter of, you know, the Bears are a bad team or any of that stuff. Good, Good luck to them figuring stuff out. Maybe they'll win a bunch of games this year. And I understand they got a new coach and all that stuff. It doesn't matter. It's the Bears. Listen, for the same reason I can't explain why the Lions are really hard for us to beat and they're not hard for anybody else, I can't explain that. I also can't explain why it's so easy for the Packers to beat the Bears. It just is. Maybe it just has to do with Aaron Rodgers' pure hatred of the franchise. I hope that's the case. That'll be one of the only things we have in common. <laughs> We're Packer fans that hate the Bears. I wish you hate the Vikings a little bit more, but it is what it is. It's just meant to be. I don't know what the Packers team is going to be this year, but I know that this week is destined to be a, a high-scoring sc- high game for our offense. I would hope our defense doesn't give up a bunch of points, but who knows? Last time we played the Bears, uh, what the heck was the score? 45-30. to 30. Pretty high-scoring game, and we absolutely trounced them. I'm hoping it's not quite that, uh, I mean, many points given up by our defense. 45 to 17 would be a little bit better, but you know, whatever. But anyways, uh, just wanted to remind everybody of that um, little detail about the Green Bay Packers. Because you got to remember, the the uh, back-to-back losses technically last year were kind of two conflicting things about the Packers. They do really bad after a bye week, and they don't lose two weeks in a row. Those two things came to head-to-head, and somebody had to give, and unfortunately, the bad record won out. Packers don't win after a bye. I mean, you know, we did last year, but (laughs) that was the Bears, which is, again, a conflicting thing. We don't win after a bye, but we don't lose to the Bears. Fortunately, the good one won out that time. This time, it's after a loss. It's not, there's no bye week. It's the Bears. I mean, it's at Lambeau. I mean, legitimately, the Packers have only lost at home twice in the Matt LaFleur era. Is that the craziest thing in the world? There's another little streak. 22 and 24 at home. In the regular season, of course. Postseason is just, you know, you can forget all the positive stuff you say about the Packers. The last time the Packers lost at home in the regular season was November 1st of 2020. It's a long time ago. That was to the Minnesota Vikings. You know what's kind of interesting, too, is the defense might even be slightly more impressive than the offense has been. I mean, there's some high-scoring games. 37, 40, 42, 35, 42, 41, 45, 30, 30, 36. Uh, that's about it as far as 30 plus. But there's also some really solid defense. 10, 14, 17, 0, uh, 16, 16, 10, 16, 17, 16, 16, 13, 16, 15, 20, I guess. I mean, sub 24 points. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 of their wins, or I guess 19 of all, 19 of their 24 have been sub 24 points. And then on offense, more than 24 points. One, two, it's a lot of right at 24. Two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13. You borderline say the defense has been more impressive than the offense while at home, which is a great thing. And I think home. The home field thing does impact defense more just for no other reason than noise. And yeah, believe it or not, there is some noise in Lambeau Field, at least on you know third down, assuming they give, give enough time to let the crowd ramp up and everything. Sorry, I'm bitter. I should let it go. 
The other thing that I wanted to bring up, maybe I already did, I don't know, but this article's still sitting here, so we're going to talk about it again if I did, and I apologize. Maybe I should close my tabs once in a while. Um, I had mentioned the speed of Christian Watson and the fact that he was able to get behind the defense, and seemingly, this is um, better than what we had in MVS. Just just based on, on one week, who knows, but... I don't know that I went back and watched a lot of MVS. Maybe I should do that for fun to see if maybe he did this all the time, but I doubt it. Um, his ability to get behind, even when when you're talking two guys, right? There's the corner and then the safety, and he's able to get behind even the safety, which is not easy to do. And it usually takes such a long time that it's not worth even bringing up. But, you know, I'd look at when he was officially open, and then you start counting out, and you go, that, that would be about a 45-yard throw. I'm pretty sure Rodgers could hit that. Looks a heck of a long way, but, you know, you start talking... 50-ish yards, and he he might pull the trigger on those. Anyways, um, right out of the gate, and I, I've, I've been talking about this a ton, and I, I don't know if anybody cares, but I am still stunned. And if you go watch the, maybe I should just post the video by itself, but go watch his seven-yard run. Again, he never gets north and south at any point, and he hit what was the fourth fastest. There's been a, There's been at least one other game since, but what was the fourth fastest speed of the week, like 20 point some odd miles an hour. Now, granted, it's it's in the full spectrum of really fast players in a year. Usually super fast is like 22 miles an hour. If you look back over the last, you know, five, six years of next gen stats, um, usually the fastest player the entire year is somewhere in the realm of 22 some odd miles an hour. Still, I want to know how fast he was when he was running straight line down the field, because it seems to me if he can go 20 miles an hour, running laterally, you know, sort of like at an angle where you're running to the sideline and sort of up at the same time. He it, and, and clearly never got up to full speed, what his full speed is. Then I saw somebody on Twitter that just kept talking about, and I, th- I didn't know if they were being sarcastic or what, but kept talking about how fast he was and the fact that he ran 23 miles an hour. And I kept seeing it, I kept seeing it, because I, I was going on Twitter trying to find, like, did anybody post how fast he was? And this guy kept saying it. So I looked it up. Here's an article from Inforum.com. It was written back in 2020 when Christian Watson was in college. It says, how fast is Christian Watson? He's 23 miles per hour fast, and Bison football has GPS to prove it. it says, uh, Frisco, Texas. It took five years, but North Dakota State running back Ty Brooks finally admitted he wasn't the fastest player on the team. That happened earlier this week when he gave the number one billing to receiver Christian Watson. Shoot, Christian is probably faster. You heard it here. Christian is fast, Brooks said. Brooks' admission blew some of his teammates away in the fact that they thought that would never happen. Christian is up there, Bison's quarterback Trey Lance said. He can take off. You saw Ty. If Ty gives the dude credit for being fast, he's got to be fast because Ty doesn't give a whole lot of credit. How fast? Watson topped out at running 23 miles per hour this year, approached the speed limit of most of the streets in Fargo. It's the result of a GPS tracker that at least 30 Bison players have worn in practice and games this season. It's turned into a fun competition between the players, although the purpose of the devices are more about injury prevention than speed. Why is that interesting? Because again, if you look back over the last several years, the fastest players generally run about 22 miles an hour. Since, whatever, 2016 or so, only twice has a receiver, or I should say a ball carrier, it's possible guys cracked this number but they didn't have the ball so it didn't get recorded, only twice has a person with the ball in their hand ever cracked 23 miles an hour, and it happened twice ever. Raheem Mostert did it once. Tyreek Hill did it once. That's it. MVS actually cracked the the charts one of those times 
at 22 some odd miles an hour. So supposedly, again, Christian Watson is in that elite category of 23 miles per hour. That only two players that we're aware of since GPS tracking became a thing in, in uh, or how I don't know, however they track in uh, next gen stats, but only two people in that era have ever done. So honestly, one of the biggest things I want to see is I want to catch, see him catch a pass and get up to full speed just to see what that number is. And I, listen, I don't expect him to crack 23 every single time. Again, Tyreek did it once. It's a, it's a rare thing even among rare speed guys. But if he can do that, you got to understand what that means. Again, everybody knows that Tyreek Hill has rare speed, that there's, there's fast guys, there's really fast guys, there's blazing fast guys, and then there's Tyreek Hill. I think MVS was in the really fast guys category. Yeah, last year, MVS was the second fastest ball carrier at 22.09 miles per hour. Jonathan Taylor was number one at 22.13. That dude is also fast. He cracked 22 twice. Now, you got to remember, most of these really fast, and this is why the seven-yard run thing really blows me away, most of these really fast speeds are on really long plays because it takes a long time to get up to that level of speed. MVS, when he got up to 22 miles an hour, it was a 75-yard touchdown reception. The other top four is Jonathan Taylor, 67 yards. Uh, Patrick Sertan on an interception, 70 yards. Jonathan Taylor, 78 yards. I will say the most stunning thing here, Jonathan Taylor, 21.83 miles an hour on a one-yard rush. That must have been very similarly him sprinting to the sideline. But again, the vast majority of these are very long plays, and that's where you're able to get up to speed. Tyreek Hill last year, his only entry on this, 21.42 miles an hour. Again, he's still stupid fast. But to really get up to that level of speed is is another thing. And if you're doing it, if you're able to do it kind of consistently, that's pretty wild. There's also the question of how long does it take you to get up to that speed? And that's kind of the big thing with Watson that seems surprising, right? MVS got up to 22 miles an hour over 75 yards. Christian Watson got up to 20 miles an hour in seven. I have a feeling Tyreek is another one of those guys that gets up to it fast. Because the, the problem with a lot of these, you know, 70 yards, 75 yards, 67 yards, quarterbacks can't throw that far. I mean, maybe you got up to that speed after 40 yards, I don't know. But there's a limited window that you have to actually beat your guy so that the quarterback can get the ball out to you and actually make it to you. You probably got to beat your guy in the first 30 yards so that the quarterback can see you won your route and then get the ball out there, hopefully within 50 yards, because you're going to cover a lot of ground by the time the ball actually gets to where you're going. So I don't know. Again, I'm, I'm just excited to see it. It's funny because in all this, we, or I have mostly just completely forgot about the fact that um, Romeo Dobbs is also a pretty solid deep threat. Just, just gone by the wayside, right? I don't know. I'm, I'm just excited. I, I, again, the, the, the cool thing about last week is going through all those different plays and everything is just seeing how much different stuff the Packers tried. It really seems like, and I'm not, this is not an excuse. They did not play properly. They didn't do a good job playing. The Vikings were great, all that stuff. No excuses. But it really felt like they just threw the kitchen sink out there. Like they just emptied out the playbook. Every single conceivable formation, alignment, play call, they tried a little bit of everything so that they can go back and review everything and see what works and what doesn't. And, you know, next time we do this, we should do this, keep an eye on this. And this, I, you know, again, the funny thing is I think a lot of Christian Watson's routes were not, in, he was not intended to be the receiver. His job is to draw away a lot of the defense. And he did a great job. But the funny thing is, his intention is to pull the corner and the safety away from the rest of the field to allow space to operate underneath. But he also just so happened to beat them. <laughs> so the throw is there, right? I don't think the intention is for that to even happen. But sure enough, 
if Rodgers really felt like it, and if he had time, which is also rare, he could have taken the shot. So, stuff for them to review. But also, the Bears are going to review that too. And I'm sure a lot of teams are going forward going to look at it and go, okay, um, this dude, you know, legit. And that's why, honestly, I actually think with all the, you know, I've been hyping up Christian Watson and all this stuff and everybody else. I think Lazard's going to have a big day. I really do. I think there were several routes that Christian Watson was the number one and he got wide open. There were a lot of times the, the prime, I mean, the primary was open most of the day. It was a great job, I think, schematically. It was either, you know, again, Rodgers not throwing the, the ball when I think he should have, or the, the receiver not quite exactly doing the right thing somehow, or just the pressure got there. But the primary guy was open. I think Lazard is going to be the primary guy, and I think Christian Watson is going to continue in his role of drawing away a lot of attention. And the Bears will have no choice but to focus on that player. They have to, because if they don't, the attention goes right back to Christian Watson, and he gets those opportunities, and they're going to embarrass the Chicago Bears. That's, that's, that's the entire reason they love guys like MVS and got a guy like Christian Watson, who is an upgraded version, I'm telling you today, an upgraded version of MVS, just purely by his speed. I mentioned this in the video I made, which I'm sure most of you didn't watch because it was an hour and 48 minutes long. Sorry, I get carried away with my thoughts. Still a good video if you want to check it out. You can go to the Substack and get a free subscription, by the way. I just, uh, I think if you go there, you can get like a seven-day free subscription. You can just watch the video and then not pay for it. I don't care. But go check it out. You get to see all the snaps and everything. It's pretty cool. But the the big thing that the West Coast offense does is it it works from sideline to sideline to spread the defense out horizontally. But then when you add a speed element, it spreads the defense out vertically. And again, I, I, what I did on one of the spots is I drew a giant box from where Christian Watson is to where their defender closest to Roger is, and then from each end of you know how far apart the defenders are. It is a massive box. And you look at that and you say, 11 defenders spread over this much area is going to create a lot of space. It's, it's basically geometry. Right? We know that if we work from sideline to sideline, we have this much space. When you're talking total area, you multiply this width of the field, or however much space we happen to create, should be about the width of the field, by how much space down the field. And that's going to be determined by your fastest guy and how quickly he's able to get down the field. And the further he gets down the field, the more area we force them to cover. And the more area they have to cover with the same amount of guys, the more space is on the field. And it just makes our job, it makes Matt LaFleur's job so much easier because he just has to make it so that if they cover everybody adequately, there's going to be space and we need to find that space. In other words, create a space and then put a guy there. And it just gets easier the more space you have because it just makes it impossible for the defense. And so I, I, I think that's going to be the main focus. I mean, I you know, the main focus hopefully is going to be with the running backs. But beyond that, assuming Lazard is back, I really think that is going to be the focus of the game. As much as I like Watson and want to see that continue, and I think he's going to get shots just purely based on his athletic ability. He's just such a talented athlete that they're not going to have any choice but to make sure that the ball gets in his hands and to give him those opportunities and to force the Bears to prove that they're not going to let him do it. You know, I mean, we we could just straight up Deshaun Jackson this guy. I remember there was a, a period of time, and I I remember it profoundly because I drafted Deshaun Jackson that year in fantasy football, but. First play of every game, I swear for about four games straight, the first play was a shot. There, there was at least two games, if not three, where the first play was a deep shot touchdown. It was like a 75-yard touchdown or something. It was absolutely absurd. 
But Deshaun Watson was that guy. He was the Tyreek Hill of that era. He was faster than everybody. And if you did not account for him, we're going to punish you. And so they basically came out and they said, okay, we're going to see if you're ready. I think it was when he was with the Eagles. We're going to see. We're going to send him and see if you're ready for this. The assumption is you're going to be ready. But if you're not, we're going to punish you for it. Because they don't want to have to do that. They don't want to give you all that space. They don't want to have to back up that far. So you should. I'm not saying that you should automatically make that your only read. But you send them. You send them early. And then if they're able to cover it, fine, then you come underneath. If it's not there, give it to Jones and let them run and see what happens. But force them to prove to you right out of the gate that you're not going to let them do it. Because honestly, that's what we want anyways. Because if you're winning, you're losing. If you're winning and covering Watson, you're losing the space game. And it's just going to allow a lot of of space for guys like Alan Lazar and Romeo Dobbs and Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon and Robert Tunyon and Tyler Davis and Josiah DeGuara and Sammy Watkins and all these guys to work underneath. Now we can operate. And if we start doing that, and they're like, all right, we can't do this anymore. We're not, you know, we need to start bringing the safeties up. We got to start doing this stuff. All right, we're going right over your head. And then there's then there's the other element. We're not even getting to the videos here. Just getting geeked out. about. But there's the other element of they start backing off so much, we just start stealing yards with Watson, just for fun, right? We're going to make it look like he's just going to continue going down the field. As soon as he starts, you know, flipping his hips and trying to run, which is he's still probably going to be seven, eight, nine yards away by the time he flips his hips because he's terrified of that speed. As soon as he flips his hips, Christian Watson stops, turns around, catches a pass. We just stole 11 yards. Thank you for that. It's a beautiful thing. Anyways, why don't we take a break right here? Um, We'll come back and look at any new news that happened very, very briefly, and then we'll get on to a couple clips that I found here and there. Remember, pristineauction.com. Just got word back that um, not a lot of people signed up for this one. I know I said that last time, but we had a pretty good push down at the end. Uh, Several people signed up kind of toward the end. But once again, we're getting word back from Pristine Auction, which isn't great news for us, but it is fantastic news for you because it means your odds of winning this trophy are actually extremely high. And by the way, when I say we had a push, that means like 10 more people signed up. I'm not talking 100. I'm telling you right now, if I had to guess, you have a 1 in 10 shot. If you go register right now at pristineauction.com, click the register button. Type in FARV, F-A-V-R-E, for your uh, registration code. And that's it. You're done. You're registered to win. And again, it to be honest, it's probably better than 1 in 10, which, again, sucks for us, but it is fantastic news for you. Please do not miss out on this opportunity. We'll take a break. We'll be right back. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now... Introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones 
by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So again, real quickly, running through a couple things. David Bakhtiari did not practice. Um, no real reason to believe that it's injury-related. Uh, Matt LaFleur said that even when he's back, he's not going to be practicing three days in a row for precautionary reasons. So it could be injury-related or, um, or, or not, I guess. I don't know. But uh, he's going to be a day-on and day-off schedule as he works back. So I still don't have super high hopes, but... I mean, as far as him coming back, even for for Tampa necessarily, but just so we're not over panicking about nothing. Says he's very uh, pleased with Zach Tom's development. Excited to see how he grows as a pro. I think he's going to have a big time future, which, you know, it's hard to remember sometimes that they usually don't throw things like that around, Um, at least not for guys in their own building. They'll say that for guys like Justin Fields and Justin Jefferson and all, all around the NFL. Whether it's true or not, it doesn't really matter. They just throw compliments out there. They don't really do that for guys inside as much. So I tend to take that a little bit more to heart. Not that they know, but I think they genuinely believe that he's got something, which we've seen. He got flown up the depth chart uh, pretty rapidly. But uh, John Runyon's still out with a concussion. Mercedes Lewis had a veteran rest day. Lazard and Elton Jenkins were practicing again, though. So that continues to be good news. The official injury report, uh, well, for the... Chicago Bears, Kari Blazengame was out for personal reasons. Valus Jones still out. Bears fans are um, it's kind of similar to what's going on with David Bakhtiari. You got half the fan base saying this guy's a broke down bum and the rest of the fan base saying how dare you. And then Riley Reef still out with a shoulder injury. For the Green Bay Packers, uh, David Bakhtiari did not participate. Hansen stays a full, particip- uh, full participant. Elton Jenkins been limited both days. Al Nazard limited both days. Lewis, again, veteran rest. Keyshawn Nixon, full participant both days. John Runyon did not participate both days. Quay Walker, full participant both days. So I don't think anything changed aside from the veteran rest for Mercedes Lewis. So everything stays the same as far as that goes. Uh, Halftime in this game, they're going to have... I was going to read the list, but it is a heck of a list. It's Green Bay Packers uh, Alumni Weekend. They're going to have dozens of former Packers back at Lambeau Field to enjoy Sunday's game together. Uh, with alumni from the last six decades decades scheduled to attend. Um, again, I'm not going to read the whole list, but just a couple people. Jerry Kramer, uh, Willie Buchanan, Lynn Dickey, Gary Ellerson, um, Big Gilbert Brown, Leroy Butler, Santana Dotson, Antonio Freeman, um, Andre Risen, Bill Schroeder, Frank Winters, some of the newer guys, Sam Barrington, Jarrett Bush, Amon Green, Andy Malumba, Josh Sitton my dude. Jason Spitz, Frank Zombo. So that should be pretty cool. Joe Barry met with the media. He was asked about the whole Jair thing. Um, he says he's good enough to do that, but you know we'll, we'll have him more man in other games. But we also really like our other corners. And so he really never considered it. So that was his answer. He went on to say there were about six or seven really bad plays. 
which obviously is is unacceptable. And and again, I'm going to reiterate what I've said a thousand times. Everybody might be right about the whole Jair on Justin Jefferson thing, but playing more man doesn't fix the fact that your defense played like garbage. You know what I mean? I mean, that's the bigger issue. And I don't want to ignore the bigger issue. Well, we could have erased Justin Jefferson with Jair. Well, first of all, I doubt it. Probably wouldn't have had as many yards, but he would have gotten plenty. But, you know, whether we play Jair man and, and lock up everybody, playing scared because our defense sucks so bad, so Jair needs to lock up the number one or we're doomed, is not the defense I want to get pumped up for in 2022. I like the version of the Packers defense that says, we can if we want to, but we don't have to. It's funny that five seconds ago we were bragging about how great everybody in our secondary is and all our linebackers and defensive ends and, you know, defensive tackles and all this stuff. We're, everybody's just dominant from end to end. Justin Jefferson goes off and it's how dare you put the, the game in the hands of anybody else other than Jair. All these other guys, they suck. What are you doing? It's just, uh, come on, guys. It sounds like every question to Joe Barry is, why didn't you do that? <laughs> so it's just, it's exhausting at this point. He said, I'm not afraid to play man. We got three guys that can do it, but we're a zone defense. That's essentially what he said. He did say maybe next time it'll be different. So look out for that. I'm sure it'll be a little bit more. Uh, Stenovich said, essentially, as far as the running game, said they didn't really get it going until later. And by the time they got it going, they were down 20 to zero. I don't care enough to go back and verify that. That's his answer to that. So we'll take it. Um, he said, as far as Amari Roger goes, just because he didn't play in week one doesn't mean he won't have a role going forward, which is somewhat obvious, I guess. I don't know if anybody 100% wrote him off like he's never going to play a single snap. But the fact that he was written out of week one kind of shows where he stands in this offense, doesn't it? Uh, Senevich on Alan Lazard says, if he's in there, he's going to do a lot of dirty work, the blocking, the things you might not see on the stat sheet, but he's going to be physical, which is kind of a staggering answer to, hey, are you excited to get your number one receiver back? Like, heck yeah, dude, he's... He's going to be doing a lot of blocking for us. <laughs> Maybe I'm wrong about the whole Lazard is going to be going off this game. Senovich says it'll be a fun surprise for everyone to find out um, who lines up at uh, offensive line, which we already know that. But thank you for your funny joke. Something I want to kind of look at uh, going forward a little bit is offensive line options, I guess. But all right, let's get into what we're here for today. Let's take a look at, and again, nothing... It's not kind of like I did with the Vikings where I can't believe what everybody's been saying kind of thing. It's it's a, it's a healthy mix of just about everything. Um, I think it was mostly positive as far as the Packers are concerned. There wasn't as much overreaction as I expected. Um, but let's start with... Let's start with this because it's not related to anybody as far as the Packers or the Bears are concerned. Let me make sure I got my settings on here correctly. I do. Uh, this is the Pat McAfee show talking about the Detroit Lions and a little, little nugget that I found interesting and hilarious. For the first time, though, in 24 games, I believe is the case. First time in 24 games, they are favored. Yeah, Detroit oh. Lions underdogs in 24 straight games are favored to win against the Washington Commanders this we weekend. Go. The Lions streak is the team's longest in the Super Bowl era. That's via Eric Woodyard. They showed a lot of fight against the Eagles, came back late. I believe they have the second most touchdowns in the NFL this season behind the Chiefs. Bingo. That's a stat that Foxy was kind of toting around here. Does that <laughs> matter? Probably not. It seemed yeah. like it was a lot of trash yards at the end against a team that thought they had it locked up and they almost didn't. How do you feel about this game and how do you feel about the Lions? Anyways, we don't need to elaborate, but I found that hilarious that um, the Lions are favored. Not necessarily that they're favored, but the fact that this is the first time in 24 games that they've been favored. They've been underdogs, <laughs> and Vegas has been 
almost undefeated with that, which is the other hilarious part. The other other part that's really funny is we're talking about, which I expected, roughly one and a half points. And they're at home, which basically makes them still underdogs. I mean, and to, I mean, not underdogs, but, you know, if it was a neutral site or obviously played in Washington, um, Detroit would not be favored, I don't think. So that's pretty funny. Why don't we start with the pro Bears content? And the funny thing is, I don't really have any pro Bears content. I have people trying to put a positive spin on something that's terrible, which is what makes it sound so funny. Everything I found, for the most part, that was pro-Bears sounded almost apologetic. The only thing that seemed overtly pro-Bears is probably this little clip right here. Seth Rollins, who I think is a wrestler. Can you give us your Bears prediction for this season? Oh, God. If you would have asked me this two months ago, I'd have probably told you we're missing the playoffs. We're going to be another middle of the road, you know, 7-10 and 10 type team. But I'm hyped, man. I'm hyped after week one. I'm on the wagon. Let's go. Let's win this division. Let's push for a wild card. Let's do something. I don't know, man. I'm saying I'm looking at a 10-win team. I think we can get there. The first half of the schedule, there's a lot of winnable games in there, man. There's a lot of winnable games. Second half of the schedule is going to be tough, but I'm hoping if everybody stays healthy, we can get this team together by the midpoint of the season and really start to push the second half of the schedule in these more difficult games and compete with some of these teams. We showed that we can we can win against San Francisco, who is a highly touted team, a highly touted defense. There it is. Uh, I don't know, man. I, I, the sky's the limit for us this year, I'm saying. Sky's the limit. So it's, it's not that big of a deal. Apparently a Chicago Bears fan getting hyped up about beating the San Francisco 49ers. Can't get that mad about it. But kind of what I'm talking about as far as drinking the Kool-Aid, you know what I mean? Some of the Bears fans, and I'm, I'm again, I'm struggling to find any Bears media or even national media doing anything other than some half-hearted sort of, you know, it's it's not, man, the Bears are good. It's the Bears are good. It's not Justin Fields is good. It's, hey, the, the Justin Fields is, is, is okay, you know? I mean, he's, he is super f- adequate, you know? But you can get some fans riled up. But anyways, let's get into uh, the best attempts at being really positive for the Chicago Bears. Here's Colin Coward, and he's talking to Dave Wanstead. And I like Dave Wanstead. I don't know why. He just, he feels like Chicago Bears football to me. He is Chicago through and through. He's a Chicago guy. He's still got that mustache and the the Polish-sounding Chicago thing going on. He could have been on that SNL skit with uh, Farley and the rest of the gang. The Polish sausage. But, you know, he's trying to sound positive to a guy, Dave Wanstead, that obviously is a massive Chicago Bears fan. But this is the best that he could possibly muster while talking about it. Takeaway was on kind of a, if I I would grade him based on what he had. Talking about Justin Fields here, obviously. How he played late. I thought Justin Fields was okay. (laughs) You know, if I had to grade him, if I had to grade Justin Fields, I thought he was okay. You know, if I had to give him a grade between like A or B or C or like A plus, it would be, uh, he was okay. He was, he was okay. I thought it was okay. How did you view it? I, I, I felt the same way. He, he did a couple of things in that game that he would have never done a year ago. I love this so much. And, and there's a couple things like this, but this, this just, this makes me so happy. All right. So here it comes. He did some things he would never have done a year ago. Ready? Let's find out what he would never have done a year ago when he actually was really good as a rookie. So that tells me that he is 
maturing mentally, and he showed something on the first touchdown play uh, when he got flushed out of the pocket. Yep. And he rolled out, and the Bears and Justin Fields talked about this this summer, that he had never worked on a scramble drill before. <laughs> what? <laughs> You've never worked on a scramble drill? Okay, cool. In other words, when the quarterback scrambles like it was to the left, the receivers on that side work back to the ball. They give him specific, specific, specific things what to do on a scramble. And the receivers away kind of drift away to get away from all the defenders. Well, a year ago, there's not a doubt in my mind, he would have tucked the ball and ran. Right. What does, what does he do? He looks over the pack, and he knew that his safety valve was really the fourth guy, Dante Pettis, who he threw the touchdown to, who was on the far side of the field. Number one, there aren't a lot of guys that have that type of arm strength to throw it that far. The wet, the ball was wet. You saw yeah, that's, that's good enough. Uh, ball was wet, super strong arm. So Colin Coward, in his best attempt at saying Justin Fields is, is, a, is a really good quarterback, says he's okay. Um, and then Dave Wanstead really pumping him up says you can see the growth and there's one that's way better than this but you can see the growth because apparently last year he never had practiced a scramble drill in his life which if you want to know the difference between not just Fields and Rodgers but Fields and and just a, a run of the mill average you know um I mean you think Goff doesn't know how to do a scramble drill you know what I mean uh, forget the the athletic talent. We know, yeah, he's fast. I get it. So is Usain Bolt. He can't play quarterback though. But the reason we knew that he has grown is because rather than just getting scared and running with the football, he stopped to see if anybody was open and noticed that there was a guy standing as wide open as any human being has ever been in in their entire life, and threw it to him. So there you go. He is he's okay, and he learned to do scramble drills. So there's that. You know, I'll say this, and I don't, I don't have a ton of examples. Um, I mean, and again, there's going to be some people that just crush the Bears. There's no question. But it is a little bit funny to me sometimes when Bears fans talk about how, how much hate Justin Fields gets. And, and there's some out there, you know, right? Mike, Mike Martz. And I've got a, a couple clips here. Um, but there are so many people using kid gloves. Like, just come, Colin Coward, just come out and say the guy played like garbage. He was, he was okay. He, you know, he, no, he wasn't. Come on, grow up. Grow up hair, bro. All right, here's here's a couple other clips of um, talking about the Bears and trying to make it sound as positive as humanly possible. This is CHGO. It's the name of the show. I don't know. But it's Adam Hogue and Mark Carmen. I don't know who Mark Carmen is, but these are big Chicago Bears um, reporters, I guess. Second year, and what what part are you... This is about... I wasn't sure what this was. This is about uh, the Mike Martz comments. Uh, Mike Martz, he came out and said the guy's trash. He's useless as a quarterback, basically. But here, here is his... This is uh, the Mark Carmen guy. This is his retort. What are you not... What are you not seeing of the potential to come? He had the athletic ability there. He can run. Whoop-de-doo, nobody cares. The intelligence... Haven't seen it. There, the work ethic there. Work ethic, what? He does push-ups? There, the respect of his teammates. Useless. There. Um, his understanding of the game that we're seeing. Have not seen that either. But apparently he did learn a scramble drill. 
a, a bunch there. I'm, I'm not saying the guy's going to be a top five quarterback in the game, but I think it's a very reasonable opinion to think that he's going to be a, uh, a, a above average, uh, <laughs> you know, at, at worst middle of the road quarterback in the league, which is something the Bears. <laughs> Again, they're trying so hard. And even the way he approaches the Mike March thing, I mean, a lot of these guys are angry and they're like, how dare you? But he's, he's, his whole thing is like, well, why? Why would you say that? I mean, he's he does these things, and and I think he'll be, you know, we've seen some things that he could maybe kind of be pretty decent kind of thing. It's so pathetic. It's so pathetic listening to them try to, like, spin this as something positive. Gross. Here's the same program. Been done. He only came out to me as a fringe starter. So this is uh, Adam Hogue. He's talking about, you know, the, the Bears look really good and everything else. Um, and then he goes over his grades, and he's talking about Justin Fields again. And, um, you know, again, everything looked great. And then he says Justin Fields graded out as a fringe starter. Even though I thought... Awkward pause. <laughs> you know, it, I thought he played well. So, you know, it... But that's why I do this because over time, like over the 17 games, it all averages out into what it comes together and what I think is a pretty accurate grade. And I, and I, I think right now that's fair. He is a starting caliber quarterback Whoa. in the NFL who Dang. can still get a lot better. And you love those those three great mm. plays, which the <laughs> – <laughs> Oh, man, this is embarrassing. Um, I think the other one I counted. So obviously the the two touchdowns. The other one was the little shovel. Here it is. Great play. I feel like that was an, an underrated play that happened early on in the game. He's got the, the whole pocket just collapsing on him. I I know you heard it, but I just want to make sure we're all clear. This next little piece here. I think this is my next clip, so we'll just let it ride out. This whole piece here is about a shovel pass. Okay, a shovel pass. Don't get me wrong. Yeah, it was it was like a sidearm thing or whatever. It, it was moderately difficult, I guess. But th- this is this is how we have to contort ourselves to prove that, despite the fact that even with my biased reporting when I did my grades, he didn't turn out very well and all these things. But we have to try to convince ourselves that he's really good. We're going to talk at length about how good he was in a shovel pass. Listen to how absurd this gets. And he just manages to. Very tight window. <laughs> that, that's the kind of stuff that Rodgers does all the time. Oh, that, that everybody's no. like, that's why he's the MVP. No, 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 no. Nobody has ever looked at a Rodgers shovel pass and said that's why he's the MVP, right? They watch as he's being dragged to the ground and throws like a 15-yard strike in the end zone with a guy that's, you know, got really tight cover. Like those types of throws – are when people make like, oh man, that's what make Rogers Rogers. It's not on a shovel pass, you know. And it's like, let's give Justin some love for doing the same exact thing. Yeah. We- what thing? What is the same thing? A sh- what are you talking about? You don't have to give him the love of comparing him to uh, Patrick Mahomes, like Byron Pringle did the other day. But we can, <laughs> but but we can give him exactly what you just did, like that level of play. Who shovel pass. Who does that? 
Elite quarterbacks. That's Elite quarterbacks do that. Who does that? Who makes that shovel pass where he literally shoveled the ball? Like, he had to turn his body a little bit because it was a guy there and kind of fling it like 1.5 yards. That's why they call it a shovel pass because you're shoveling it because you don't even have to put your arm into it. Who makes these kinds of plays? Elite quarterbacks? Come on, guys. This is You guys got have a bear show. You just beat the 49ers, and you're sitting here talking at length about a shovel pass. I'm sorry. I, I shouldn't have to sit here and convince anybody that they didn't play very well if this is what it's come to. To do yeah. that. Yeah. That, and that was – it didn't get a lot – I think it didn't get a lot of love because the Bears' offense was so stagnant. That didn't get a lot of love because it was a shovel pass. At that point, in, we hadn't seen any, like, just normal, like, this is how a quarterback should look moments. But that was, that was big time. <laughs> that, hey, man, that was big time. That was big time, bro. Anyways, that was the last clip of that show. And again, that was their best attempt. Uh, maybe, I, maybe I was a little selective, but their best attempt at showing how good the team was. Here is the final clip um, discussing Packers-Bears and kind of giving us a new insight. Here's a new angle on why the Packers should maybe be a little bit scared of these here Chicago Bears. Ready? Here, let's see what we got here. Never heard this one before. Okay, the team that unfortunately for the majority of my life has been destroying us, okay, basically every single game, especially on Sunday Night Football, okay? We have lost 11 out of our last 12 matchups against our rivals. It's not really been a rivalry recently because the Packers always destroy us and it sucks to see it because we can never talk smack back. We can never talk trash back to Packers fans because they always beat us, okay? But this dude hasn't been on Twitter. You, you're allowed to for sure. You, you don't have to make sense, but you can do it. By the way, kudos to this guy for, you know, saying things that make me smile maybe change is coming okay because fun fact guys the last time we hired a coach similar to matt eberflus lovey smith okay ran a lot of the same principles that matt eberflus yeah. runs he he had the same type of defense he kind of had the same hits principle too it was probably called something else but preach a lot of the same things that Ibrahim preaches right now. And after Lovey Smith came to Chicago, Brett Favre went two and six against the Bears for the rest of his Packers career. Before that, he was 20 and four. Okay. There you go. There you go. Um, I, yeah, I'm going to leave it alone. I'm going to just leave it. I'm just going to leave it right there. That's it. Matt Ibrahim is like Lovey Smith. And when Lovey Smith came in, did they do better against the Packers? Not super better but Favre or yeah Favre seemed to struggle more which is which is true I mean that was the one thing that he did is he said he wanted to beat the Packers and they they did it was kind of it was kind of like the kind of they were kind of like the Vikings a little bit actually I don't want to say the Lions although depending on the year that may have been true a team that's not very good but if they're going to beat anybody there were some years where it was like that they'll win three games and one of them would be the Packers but I also thought they were kind of playoff contender types that uh, kind of gave us a hard time for a while. I don't know. Depends on the year. He was around for a while. So, again, kind of hard to find a lot of pro bear stuff out there. Um, there wasn't a lot of, man, they're going to obliterate the Packers. I mean, not on any serious channels or anything. It was mostly just uh, trying to contort themselves into saying that Justin Fields is a really good quarterback. And um, can he do enough to drag this, this team along with him kind of thing? Here are some of the anti-Packers things that I heard. Um, we heard the pro-Bears. Here's sort of the anti-Packers. I don't think this is... It's one of those... Again, and I don't know if it's true, depending on 
if it's true, there's there's some validity to it. But here's Colin Coward talking about Aaron Rodgers. Yeah, like Aaron Rodgers with three rookie receivers not only disappeared in the... Colin Coward and Nick Wright. I think Nick takes the majority of this, but anyways. Offseason, uh, he didn't take a snap. And so he asked a kid that played at Nevada... <laughs> in Reno and a guy that played FCS football yeah your first game's going to be our heated division rival on the road in the loudest stadium in the world uh and then he's upset yelling at them so I'm going to interject when things are not exactly correct I don't think Aaron Rodgers ever yelled at them right sometimes they do this stuff he kind of makes a decent point but to make a maybe kind of sort of possibly okay point a solid point he just completely makes things up I don't remember any point in which Aaron Rodgers was yelling at any of the rookies, ever. In fact, he's been very complimentary of the rookies. He's been very, yes, there was like an eye roll thing, if you want to even call it that. Of course, he was frustrated, as there are fans to this day that can't let it go. Rodgers has moved on. The fans have not. So (laughs) it's hard to be mad at Rodgers in the moment as the actual quarterback that threw that pass, a beautiful pass, by the way. You want to talk about extra investment, and we're not just talking about fans that are watching we're talking about the quarterback of the team that's playing and the guy that threw a freaking dime um anyways but yeah i i I don't think that happened this guy kind of rambles for a little bit too but i am going to play the whole thing and it's it's worth playing i think and my takeaway is yeah so that's on aaron uh listen there's never been a take of yours that i disagree well i guess there's two there's two takes of yours that I that I disagreed with vehemently five years ago, and now I'm like, God dog it, he was right. And one of them involves Russell Westbrook, but we don't need to talk about that one. And the other one's Aaron, because you said the uh, you said last year, Aaron is. I think the phrase you used was a bailer, not a baller, and it feels harsh. But then you look at the evidence of. Christian Watson is the highest drafted wide receiver of Aaron Rodgers' tenure of the last decade. They, they took him in the second pick of the second round. They have a massive investment in him, and Devontae Adams is gone. The first play of this kid's life, coming out of an FCS school, he, he beats the corner. Yeah. And yes, it's a perfect pass, and he drops it. And Rodgers didn't throw him the ball again until there were three minutes left in that football game. That's not the way you win. And like The only reason he got the ball over the next 55 minutes of football was because they called a, a running play to him That's right. because Rodgers wouldn't throw him the football. And I just think that is, I think there, there is a, a type of personality that would see that happen and go the exact opposite, that would audible out of the next play to call a bubble screen for that kid. Because A, you need to build him back up, and B, him being confident is going to help you. But Aaron, for as great as he is, when things start going a little left, he seems to inflame the situation with his frustration. And I maybe was foolish enough to believe, and maybe this will end up being the case, that after he was talking about the ayahuasca and learning to lead with love and this stuff, that maybe that was going to be different. But week one, play one. Your 22-year-old kid you just drafted lets you down and you freeze him out the rest of the game. I just, I don't think that is, 
that is helpful to the Packers in a game that they would have loved to win, and it's not like they were getting blown out the whole time. So I think you nailed that one, and yeah. it's unfortunate. So um, I think most of that is is 100% fair. The only thing that I would add to the equation, and some people are going to give me the oh, come on thing, but we don't know 100% that it was spite that caused that. Because we talk a lot about trust. There's a difference between saying, that kid ticked me off, and now I'm going to ice you out. I'm going to give you the football equivalent of the silent treatment to teach you a lesson. And him saying, look, it's there, but I I just, I want to peek over here and see if there's something else open. Or I'm not even going to get to that point in my progression. I see a guy open and I'm going to throw it because I just, I don't want to. And again, I don't mean out of spite, I just mean out of fear. So that would be the, it, it doesn't change a lot of the discussion because I think even, even leaving that out, he's 100% correct, which is weird to say because these guys are like shock jock TV guys that usually don't make coherent points, but sometimes they're right on the money and I think this makes perfect sense. The most important thing, to, well, two, two comments that kind of mean the same thing. You can't win that way. You can't win by icing him out, whether that's out of spite or a lack of trust. You can't do that stuff. It's not good for him. It's not good for the team. You built a game plan that was heavily invested in him. And then the second point that makes sense is he has to be involved. It's, it's no different, honestly. And again, they may agree with this. Even Aaron Rodgers might have looked at, back, at, back at it and said, we needed to find more ways to get Christian Watson involved. Because again, it maybe wasn't intentional. It was just flow of the game kind of stuff. I mean, if they can do it to Aaron Jones, they sure as heck can do it to Christian Watson. But I think... He makes a good point that it was important for them to make sure he touches the ball soon after. That that seven-yard run should have happened in the first quarter sometime. Or or like he said, a screen of some sort. He needs to to get a physical reception and get yards and get hit and and get the high fives and the and the the headbutts and everything else and you know the 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 attaboy from the quarterback to feel like you're a part of it. He needed that. It was important. And that's not just an Aaron Rodgers thing. That's a Matt LaFleur thing. He also should have recognized that. And and a Stenovich thing, the offensive coordinator. Somebody on this staff and or the quarterback should have looked at the situation and said, he needs to get his hand on the ball very soon. We can't let that fester in his brain this entire game. We sure as heck can't freeze him out. We need, not just that, not just for his confidence, we need his athleticism to help beat the Vikings today. And, and, and how about this? Do it for Rodgers' sake. If Rodgers is having issues with trusting him, that's bad for us too. So we need those two to get on the same page. So maybe instead of a 75-yard toss, let's try a five-yard toss. Let's kind of ease into this relationship. Not saying there was anything wrong with that. It was was the perfect play. It was the perfect route. It was a perfect throw. He just didn't catch it. But the point is, we don't need to to throw 40-yard passes to him again. Throw a five-yard pass. Throw a screen. Do something to get him involved more. So it was an anti-Packers take, kind of. And I think it might have been slightly off base with the with the implication that it was done out of spite, which is clearly the implication because he talked about, you know, I thought after the ayahuasca, he'd be much more cool and said he comes out and he's spiteful and vindictive. And maybe he was. I don't know. But that's the point. I can't say that he needs to stop being vindictive if I don't know that he was. Fair enough. Some of these clips are kind of long um, and we're kind of getting long anyways, but we'll see how these go. Here's the final. They're going to be fine. The offense. Forget the defense. Is that offense final with Rodgers? They get. They're going to get Lazard. Final anti-Packers clip, kind of. Back. They're going to get their tackles back. Are they going to be just fine and be a contender like they've been the last few years? 
I mean, I think they're going to be fine, but I don't think they're going to win the division. I think, you know, they're not going to win the division. I don't think so. I think we underestimate what Minnesota did, how they looked, you know, defensively bringing in Zadarius Smith, you know, what they were able to add to a solid defense. You know, I, I think, you know, Aaron Rodgers doesn't have to change the way he plays. He has to change the way he leads. And, like, sometimes, like, these quarterbacks, they get away with not having to be responsible for leading people. Like, you, you have a young group, and we've been a part of young groups. Bill Callahan would have took you guys out and had you work with the young guys. You have to have that continuity. You have to have that, that chemistry together. You only get that by putting the work in. It's, not, it's, it's, it's ironic that, you know, every team, you know, with three and eight that decided not to play their starters mm -hmm. in, the, in, in the preseason. And what happens is, you know, now you don't have that room for error to say R-E-L-A-X, relax. Right. Because you don't have the time because now Minnesota has closed the gap. So which is it? Is it R- All right, so these are kind of the two narratives that are, that are spawning right now. Number one, the Packers took a step back. The Vikings are, are elite. The Vikings are now the leaders to win the division. And secondarily, Aaron Rodgers is to blame for a lot of this. Him not playing in the preseason, him not showing up in uh, uh, the offseason, and then his performance and, and his, his uh, demeanor, I guess, toward the young players is a lot to blame. So that's kind of where we're at as far as the anti-Packers stuff so far. We'll get to the pro-Packers things. Um, we'll save the anti-Bears stuff because obviously that's the funniest. I know you think you'd want to save the pro Packers stuff for last. Honestly, it's just kind of people saying stuff we already know. I think they're going to be fine. The anti-bear stuff is pretty harsh, and that that's what makes it the best. But since we're getting low on time here, uh, I might skip a few, and I definitely don't want to miss this. This is Go Good Morning Football, and, and a big part of the reason I really like this clip in particular, I hope it does not play here, um, is because not only because it's Brian Baumgartner from The Office, but Good Morning Football is a crew of people that spent the entire time talking about how they don't like the Packers and the Vikings are going to do all this. And granted, they were, they were I don't want to say proven right, but they seem to be on the right page as far as their Vikings takes. I don't remember anybody's name here, but um, it's funny because, you know, Mr. He wore the Vikings jersey and he's been pumping up the Vikings and he's been talking about Kirk Cousins is going to win MVP or whatever he ends up saying. They're going to win the division, all this stuff. And so now he brings Brian Baumgartner on. Brian's got his Packers shirt on and everything and they're trying to like, you know, bait him into like, oh, they, they got beat up real good. And he just laughs at him, which I love. Packers, 0-1, <laughs> crushed by the Vikings. Your thoughts? So again, he doesn't just say, what are your thoughts on the Packers after, after week one? Like, are you worried or anything? He, he tries to lay the foundation to make sure that he doesn't come at him too hard, right? 0-1, crushed by the Vikings. Okay, they scored 23 freaking points. Sorry. You guys are such overreactors. Yeah. I mean, this is the biggest cliche <laughs> in all of sports head talk, television, <laughs> radio, whatever. Guys, have you not have you not read your history books? What Once. are you talking about? Last year against the Saints, a dismal performance yep. with with really no excuses. This year, Boxiari is out. Mm -hmm. Jenkins and out is out. If not their two best, certainly their two most experienced offensive linemen. And and their number one wide receiver, yep. Lazard. I expect a huge game mm -hmm. this week. If there's a problem this week, mm -hmm. then you can talk all you want. But you <laughs> have been wasting your breath this week. I love that. You've been wasting your breath this week, and and they're going to especially the, the the guys who were right, right? I mean, that's what I would do. Um, just pumping up the Vikings, talking down to the Packers. 
Vikings won, Packers lose, and they're they're gonna just just beat this to death. But yeah, I I I think there's a part of them deep down. I think they're probably upset that it's the Bears this week. I think they if they could if they had their wish, it would have been Tampa Bay week two, just because then they get one more week of not saying I know we're going to lose to Tampa, but if we don't get our offensive linemen back and it's 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 still a week early, so we're probably not going to 100% be into a rhythm yet. Um, ideally, the, the harder games will be at the end of the schedule, but that's not exactly the case. But they would love for that to be the case because they know there's a really good chance that the Bears are going to get annihilated at home, primetime television. I mean, it's going to be on display for the whole world to watch. And um, so they're going to get their shots in now. But yeah, that's 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 the situation. Here is uh, the PFF betting podcast, PFF forecast, I think it's called. I'm not really sure, but it's it's the uh, the gambling crew. They're going to be talking about the upcoming matchup. But, but bear with me here. The Chicago Bears are going to Green Bay to play the Green Bay Packers. And by the way, some of this is pro Packers and anti Bears. It's just kind of it kind of rolled into each other. I didn't want to split it into two and put it into two categories. So I'm just going to, you know, if that happens to be the case, we'll let it go. The total is 42 and a half. It is supposed to be, I guess, 71 chance of light rain. It's on Sunday night. I think everyone here is assuming that the Aaron Rodgers led um, offense is going to be stifled in, in by its own lack of ability. And I want to bet against that in every sorry, way that sorry, I can. Sorry, the, the clacking you're hearing is me making this actual bet while it's happening, <laughs> um, while you're talking. So I actually am seeing a 42 on my offshore. Mm. So we'll go with that. Um, I mean, the, there we go. So here's, you know, I'll here's something. That stamp, Rob, don't worry. Here's something to think about with this bet. You may think to yourself, Oh man, Aaron Rodgers and the passing game looked awful. Let me remind you that Christian Watson cooked Patrick Peterson like a Thanksgiving turkey. That was a cookage. Yeah, and dropped the ball. What do we know? Drops are unstable. Here's the other thing to think about. The Chicago Bears defense stinks. They held the 49ers, (laughs) not by virtue of their defense being amazing, but by virtue of the fact that they were playing in a slip and slide and facing Justin Fields. Or uh, sorry, uh, uh, facing Trey Lance. Yes, you know, Freudian slip there. Yes. So um, I, I like this quite a bit, and with a spread of ten and a team like the Bears, who are going to obviously fight, and Justin Fields, who's kind of always going to, I think this year, be a guy that that scores you a couple touchdowns late with his legs or just by airing it out. Um, so I'm going to offer over 42, 42 and a half, Packers Bears. Where would I, you like? Leave it at that. So. I like everything about it. The assumption is the Packers offense is going to be stifled and you shouldn't assume that. And he goes on to say, and and this is the other thing that the other media talking point is nobody got open. And that's, that is the talking point. Go watch it. Go on my Substack right now. Again, you can go there. It's uh, packernet.substack.com. You can go there and get a free subscription and watch every single snap of Christian Watson, which is most of the offensive snaps. So if you don't want to watch Christian Watson get open on 50% or however many, probably more than that of his routes, you can watch the other guys, too, and see what I'm telling you. The majority of the plays, somebody was open. And either the ball did go to them and got caught, it did go to them and it got dropped, it didn't go to them for some inexplicable reason, or it didn't go to them for a reason like there was pressure, which was a major part of it. But the the thinking that guys weren't open, and, and it really goes to show that this offense isn't working, 
That's not true. The offense did work. The receivers were getting open. There were a lot of other issues. There were timing issues, which I pointed to in a, in a play or two. A lot of pressure issues. Probably a couple bad decisions by Rodgers mixed in. Not pulling the trigger. Whatever the case may be. That isn't true. And, and, and the, the also the, the feeling that Chicago Bears defense is better than everybody thought. What, what they're telling you is to bet the over. There's going to be more points in this game than people think. And it's largely going to be the Green Bay Packers. You know, if you're talking 42 points, you're saying, you know, 21-21 game. And they're saying you should go over on that. The last time that the Packers and Bears played, by the way, what did I say was 42 to 30 or something like that? Which doesn't, I mean, if, if anything, that doesn't speak very highly of, of, our, of our defense. And I, I plan on going over that probably tomorrow. But yeah, the, the Bears defense didn't do anything spectacular. It was a monsoon, especially in the fourth quarter when the, when the 49ers actually needed to come back. I mean, Trey Lance is out there throwing ducks, doing a terrible job moving the ball, throwing just lame duck pick. They were just about to score a touchdown and, and uh, Debo fumbles. So yeah, here's our uh, buddies over there, Brady Quinn and Pete Prisco and their thoughts on this situation. At least Brady Quinn. I don't know if we'll get to Bears, Pete or not. Packers. Uh, are we going to learn that this was just another aberration for Aaron Rodgers and the Packers in week one, like last season against the Saints? I mean, I think so. I, I do think they'll have a better game plan for him by this time around with Matt Eberflus and what they're going to try to take away. And it's maybe easier to do that because you don't have Devontae Adams there anymore. You know, Christian Watson wide open for a touchdown. Just has to worry about hitting his head. He was open. Post. A blind man could have caught that ball. But he so was open. He was. And that's the hardest part. Right. So, you know, we're hoping his hands improve if you're a Packers fan. But I'm going to lay the 10 points here. I mean, Aaron Rodgers has owned the Chicago Bears. Pause. Lay in the 10 points. They're, the Packers are projected to win by 10. And most people seem to be betting the over for the Green Bay Packers. Um, or however that works for the Packers. I don't know the stupid betting terminology. They're betting on the Packers to win by more than 10 points or to cover the 10 points, I guess. Which is, I mean, 10 points is massively significant. It really is. And again, I'll go over this tomorrow because you don't see 10 points very often. And for an 0-1 team to be a 10-point favorite over a 1-0 team, Vegas knows everything that those last, the last guys just said. The offense is way better than people seem to think that the Bears defense is way worse than people are saying anyways I'll let them talk uh that game last week I loved how Chicago fought back and ended up winning it but it's hard to think that uh they're going to go up to Lambeau and be able to find any way to put up the offensive production I think the Packers will what was more alarming last week me Pete was the Packers defense yeah first of all by the way look at that who's who of who shouldn't be on that list right there that's like a quarterback you don't want. But. Anyways, the music is super obnoxious. I wish they wouldn't do that, but whatever. Um, they're they're showing a list of Bears quarterbacks. Bears quarterbacks versus Aaron Rodgers. Jay Cutler two and ten. Mitch Trubisky was one and five. Josh McCown one and one. Kyle Orton one and one. Justin Fields is zero and two. Mike Glennon zero and one. Matt Barkley zero and one. Brian Hoyer zero and one. The only guy who has beaten Aaron Rodgers twice is Jay Cutler, and that was in 12 attempts. That's staggering. Anyway, sorry, Pete. We got we to gotta keep it rocking here, so we're not going to go with Pete Prisco. Um, this is the final. The final. It's, it's not very much. It's just a, a, a brief thing, but it's uh, Rich Eisen's power rankings. Apparently, he's never done a power ranking. He spent about 10 minutes explaining why power rankings are stupid, so he obviously was kind of forced into doing this, but... Um, he kept the Packers relatively high uh, at a pretty fair number and kind of briefly explained it, and I figured I'd play that. And then there's the Packers. 
Uh, I, I, Lazard's not going to be out forever. There's still 12. I love their defense. More often than not, the Packers are going to win football games this year. They're ninth on my list. Another topic I'll probably cover is these power rankings and whatnot, which again are pretty stupid, but there's certain, for a lot of it, I get it. Even, even putting the Packers ninth, like, all right, I get it. There's a ton of uncertainty. And if they don't turn it around, ninth is even generous, but like seeing teams like the Ravens that struggled against the Jets, I know the point total was seemed like they didn't struggle. Just like the Bears, 19 to 10, it's a pretty wide number there. They struggled. The Ravens didn't annihilate the Jets by any stretch. The amount of credit given to them, and I, and I, this might blow up in my face and make me look stupid, but I do not understand. I, I guess I do. Their, their defense is pretty stout, but the offense is not. The offensive line is not quite as good as it used to be. Lamar is massively overrated, and they still don't have wide receivers. They do have a great tight end. So I guess when you have an elite tight end, a decent run game, a mobile quarterback to add to your rushing ability, and a solid defense, you're probably going to win a good amount of games. That's probably fair. I don't think they're a good team. And again, when you have a bad quarterback, you're, you're, you're going to struggle. But compared to a lot of other teams and the fact that they're going to win games, especially against mediocre to subpar teams, which is going to be the majority of your schedule because there's more mediocre to subpar than actually good. But anyways, let's get into these. Uh, I've got two clips here. We've got uh, Pro Football Focus, and then we've got um, Michael Lombardi. And I don't know who to start with because I forget which one was more brutal. Um, let's go shoot. Let's go with PFF. If this was more harsh than I recall, then then I guess, oh, well. But uh, here's what PFF has to say about this matchup. Um, I, I think it's very easy to get carried away with what Chicago did in terms of just winning against San Francisco. But I think this week they're going to be reminded of the flaws on the team. Like, you could easily come out of last week if we were so inclined and say, oh, maybe Chicago's offensive line is actually okay. Like, Tevin Jenkins played pretty well at guard, didn't give up an awful lot. Um, they handled Joey Bo- or Nick Bosa rather, reasonably well. He wasn't a, a big factor in that game. San Francisco's defensive line did not cause them that many problems, and they had a reasonable game plan to deal with it. Like, every time Nick Bosa lined up, there was an extra guy to his side. Whether it was a running back, a tight end, they were not going to give him a free one-on-one run against, you know, a, a questionable tackle. But... It's very, you have to factor in the, the field. Like it was a rainstorm. There was, it was a slop fest. There was no kind of footing. It was the kind of weather that would immediately neutralize any kind of pass rush, let alone it doesn't matter what the scheme was or what the offense was going to be doing. Like they, San Francisco's pass rush was going to be blunted. So I think Green Bay's pass rush is about to immediately remind the Bears that actually they're, you know, they're probably worse than that. Um, and yeah, you might have a good game plan, but you don't, there's more than one guy you have to worry about for Green Bay. You know, they've got Rashawn Gary, like Nick Bosa. They also have Kenny Clark on the interior. Like They've got extra guys that are going to cause you some issues. So I think Green Bay's defensive front immediately is a big mismatch over Chicago's offensive line. As much as Justin Fields is always capable of making a, a crazy play here or there, he's also, he also holds the ball still. I mean, early in that game, he got buried by just hanging onto the ball in the pocket and doing nothing, you know? So I think that's going to happen as well. Green Bay's uh, secondary is good enough to give him nowhere to go with the ball. So I think Chicago's offense is going to struggle to get much done here. If you have PFF premium, uh, PFF plus where the premium stats are contained, uh, you look at the defensive grades for the Packers and it's uh, it's an interesting look. There's a lot of green. There's a lot of solid. There's a lot of players who played fine in week one. And then you get to the safeties. Yeah. Darnell Savage, Adrian Amos, both in the red, both in the 20s. 
Uh, credit Kevin O'Connell, the Vikings offense, Justin Jefferson, Kirk Cousins. They exploited the Packers at the safety position. I mean, they were attacking him. We talked about how they moved Justin Jefferson around. The Packers weren't a disaster across the board defensively last week. They gave up a few big plays in there, and, and a lot of it was two safeties. And a Amos, who's historically one of the better safeties in the NFL, one of the safest safeties. He doesn't bust coverages all that much. He's not out of position. Darnell Savage, a playmaker who's a little bit more hit or miss. But my point is I'm expecting the Packers, the defense that we said might be the best that they've had in 10 years. I, I really think we're looking at a few, a few bad plays in there last week um, that they're going to tidy up and be much better. And then offensively, the question with – Aaron Rodgers and the Packers, who's he going to throw to? Alan Lazard should be back this week. Mm -hmm. Just kind of getting that consistency, right? I mean, if Christian Watson gets behind the defense 10 times, <laughs> even if he has the worst hands in the NFL, he's going to catch seven of them. And, and that's worth it in the long run. This is my Valdez Scantling take, right? It's yeah. worth it in the long run. So uh, I, I think the Packers have some of the pieces to bounce back offensively. Just just curious to see who it is. It, it's worth it. You know, it's. I want to stop it there. It's It's... That's not a terrible take, um, as weird as it sounds. If he has the worst hands in the world, Christian Watson, if he gets behind the defense 10 times, he'll catch seven of them. Do you know Jamar Chase, the maybe the best rookie to ever come out of college? I mean, it was Justin Jefferson, and then Jamar like broke his receiving record the very next year. He had some of the most drops of any wide receiver in the NFL. The idea that, it's funny, people talk about it like, well, he had drop issues and he cleaned it up. No, he didn't. He never cleaned it up. But the point is, you throw to him a bunch, he's going to drop a bunch, but he's still going to catch a bunch. And, and with that is going to come a ton of yards, a ton of touchdowns, and nobody cares about the drops. I don't know what would have happened if he went back to, to uh, Christian Watson. But if Christian Watson had 110 yards and two touchdowns and a drop, it would be a very different discussion, as opposed to the big play drop, and then he doesn't see a single throw until, like, love comes in. Jamar Chase dropped the ball 11 times last year. 11 times he dropped the ball. I know I've been over these numbers already, but again, it, it, it kind of just goes to, he may have drop issues. That's true. He might, he might, this might not 100% get cleaned up. In other words, he may not become Devante in terms of he has super reliable hands. He might be a guy that, you know, he cleans it up a little bit, but he, it's going to be this recurring thing with him. Maybe that's a thing. So what? It's going to be frustrating, no question about it. We saw it with James Jones. He could be super frustrating with some of those drops, but he also caught a ton of real good passes and some real nice deep shots for touchdowns. It's funny, Jamar Chase was the second most drops of any wide receiver in football last year. You know who number one was? Debo Samuel. Maybe you did know because I probably told you that, but I, I already forgot. Not one person cares about that. You know who's, who's number three? Tyreek Hill. Debo Samuel, Jamar Chase, Tyreek Hill. Th those. If that's not the number one, two, and three wide receiver in football, and I don't think it is, man, oh man, they might, they're probably all top five. You got to throw Devontae in there. You got to throw Justin Jefferson in there. But you might still be talking about top five right there. All three, them and LaVisca Chenault, and Chenault's got a much more serious problem because he had significantly less targets. But Tyreek, Jamar Chase, Debo Samuel, aside from LaVisca, are the only receivers who had 10 or more drops on the season. That's we're, we're getting kind of close to one a game. It's, it's more than one every other game. Nobody cares. You know why? Because Tyreek Hill had 1,524 yards and 12 touchdowns. Jamar Chase had 1,823 yards and 14 touchdowns. And Debo had 1,559 yards and seven touchdowns on top of whatever else he's doing behind the line of scrimmage. 
Jamar and Debo were 17 yards per reception. Debo was almost 18. Nobody cares. Debo Samuel had 12 drops. Nobody cares. Let me tell you something. That drop from Christian Watson is not going to be the last one. It's not. Like I said, there was one wide receiver who played a semi-significant amount of snaps that didn't drop the ball, and that was Marquez Valdez-Scantling. Not one drop attributed to him. That's it. Every other wide receiver in the entirety of the NFL had a drop. Out of 94 wide receivers, everybody dropped the pass. 13 only had one or less. And if you're talking like number one wide receivers that got a ton of balls, I mean, Devontae, he's got super reliable hands. Four drops. Four. Cooper Cup, nine drops. Justin Jefferson, nine drops. By the way, Debo Samuel in San Francisco, I know, I know, deluge, right? Two drops already. He's already, he led the league last year. He's leading the league this year. Two drops in San Francisco. Seven targets, two receptions, 14 yards, two drops. Does anybody care? No. Amon Ross St. Brown also had a dr- had two drops. Anybody care? No, because it's Amon Ross St. Brown and everybody likes the guy. Mike Williams for the Chargers had a drop. I mean, there were, there were 17 guys, including Jamar Chase, again, with another drop. Tyreek Hill, the same, the usual suspects, Corey Davis, C.D. Lamb, Brandon Cooks, D.J. Chark, Michael Thomas in New Orleans, Jerry Judy in Denver, Rashad Bateman in Baltimore. I know it sucked, and I know it was painful. It's a lot of drops, and it won't be, again, it will not be his last one. That doesn't mean you don't throw to him. Anyways, continuing on. Final, final clip. Here we go. This is, again, uh, I don't remember exactly how much he explains, but Michael Lombardi, and I know I've gone in at Michael Lombardi, I don't like some of the things he says and the way that he says it. Um, you know, the, the names that he's called Matt LaFleur, I don't appreciate. But um, he certainly has a lot of inside knowledge about what's going on. And um, he it's funny because he's commenting on the Mike Martz thing. And I love this because everybody on Twitter is trashing him. Oh, Mike Martz is a has-been. He's a washed-up loser. He's an idiot. Bears fans are losing their mind. This guy's stupid. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Here is... Um, Sort of a different take on the whole Mike Martz comment thing. Did I, let, let me, concerned about. hold on one second. Just for those, I'm assuming everybody knows what I'm talking about, but let me just show you some of the comments that Mike Martz made, just so we're all on the same page. It's, uh, I'll just, I'll just play it. It's a minute and 46 seconds. It's, it's kind of a, a compilation thing, and there's probably stupid music, but we're going to do it anyways. I know this, he can only go up. He can only get better because you can't get any worse than what he did today. Justin Fields. I'm just shocked, shocked at the Bears. I mean, they took this quarterback. They went up and spent a lot to get him, and he was, he was less than remarkable would be the kindest thing that you could say about him. <laughs> I don't know if I've ever seen such a bad performance by a quarterback in his opening performance of the season. Like, he was just completely awful. He really deflated the football team with his performance. They just, you know, when you get a quarterback, they can't do anything at all. And defensively, you shut them out basically for a half. You kind of lose hope. <laughs> you know, right now they're a team without hope. I want their, I want their eyeballs. Yeah, I've never seen anything this about is, this kid that was. This is about Trey Lance. I'm going to play this too because I also enjoy this. I hate the 49ers, and um, I've been saying for a long time Trey Lance doesn't look good, and 49ers fans lost their mind. But I'm kind of in the same boat here with this. I, I, I'm excited because I want the 49ers to be failures, and I think they're going to be as long as Trey Lance is here. So I'm also going to enjoy every comment about Trey Lance. And Mike Martz hit on both of them. It, it, encouraging at all. He really has to plan himself to make a good throw. 
Uh, he's not a quick decision guy. Every shot in the rear about him being a, a mobile guy making plays with his feet. He looked like a fullback stumbling around trying to run the ball to me. I mean, he's not Lamar, you know. It's funny because it's kind of, I'm picturing one of those runs in my head right now, and he was. He was like, it was weird. He was staggering down the field. He's got a lot more power than you would expect, but that's kind of weird for a quarterback too. Like he runs real slow to get to the spot, and then he just smashes through the guy. It's it's not a good thing. So I don't know what he is. He, he's not particularly a good guy running with the football. And based on what I saw today, I mean, he missed two guys completely by themselves. Uh, I know it was in the rain, but you know, quarterbacks do that. And you make those throws. Um I know this, he can only go up. He can only get better because you can't get any worse than what he did today. Uh, I've never liked him. I still don't like him. Um, I don't know. I'd like to know what he does so well because he, he's not a great passer, doesn't have good skills, takes him a long time to set himself and throw the football, misses easy throws, and he's not particularly a good runner. Other than that, he's a hell of a player. <laughs> I love old school guys so much. I really do. There's so much... Like again with the dancing around stuff, like with Colin Coward. Oh, he's 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 good. He did, did. I love old school guy. And 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 by the way, that's why I like guys like Dave Wanstead because he would say the same stuff. He doesn't he doesn't agree with this take. He likes Justin Fields and everything, but he he would absolutely say stuff like this. He doesn't throw the ball well. He doesn't run the ball well. He's not particularly good, you know, thinker thrower. Other than that, he's a hell of a player. <laughs> oh, I love that. Um, anyways. So that was the comment. Here is Michael Lombardi kind of discussing that situation and the Bears situation and everything else. Well, I think the 49ers are going to have to prove that you can win without a quarterback. I think Mike Marks is- <laughs> I'm sorry. I got to pause it. That makes me so happy. It's Trey Lance is garbage. I don't know why everybody's fighting me on this. It's painfully obvious. I love that. I hate to give Michael Lombardi credit because, again... He made me mad that one time, but um, the 49ers are going to have to learn to... Uh, he's he's another one of those old school guys that's just going to say what's on his mind, um, which I like it as long as he's not calling Matt LaFleur or Matt LaF. Otherwise, I'm fine with it, but um, the 49ers are going to have to learn how to play without a quarterback. That's hilarious. His comments the other day about both Justin Fields and Trey Lance, I mean, have to concern you, especially coming from somebody who understands how to evaluate a quarterback. I mean, you can say whatever you think, and I have certain opinions on Mike Marks uh, that that are different than most. Uh, Mike can evaluate the quarterback, and Mike can coach the quarterback. You don't find Mark Bolger. You don't take Kurt Warner, who wouldn't throw a pass in Green Bay if you talked to Ron Wolf, and turn him into a really good player and win that Super Bowl with the Rams. Uh, Mark Bolger, you know, Trent Green, you can go through all the quarterbacks that he's developed. When he says something like that, and you're the 49ers and you're John Lynch, and I don't care what Twitter said about Trey Lance, and he makes a great point. Like, Lamar Jackson is the 32nd pick in the draft, and Trey Lance is the third. You watch two of their college tapes. They're not the same player. I'm not a a scout by any stretch, but I I would 100% agree with that. I liked Lamar in college a lot. I was actually very excited about Lamar coming into the NFL because – Everything about him screamed Michael Vick. I mean, he is he is blazing fast, but he also has a cannon for an arm. I mean, the the the, the biggest thing that made him Michael Vick it wasn't the running. A lot of guys can run. It was the fact that he was blazing fast, but also he could flick his arm 
and that ball would sail, look like 50 yards. Like, he doesn't have to put any effort into that whatsoever. So I was excited about Lamar. Um, but yeah, the, the idea that this guy's number three and Lamar was had to sit and wait at number 32 is, is kind of crazy, and I think that's a fantastic point. He doesn't play for as big of a program. He didn't win the Heisman Trophy. He isn't as good of a runner. He isn't as good of a thrower. What sense does any of this make? And, and NDSU compared to Louisville? Are you serious? They're not the same player. Lamar had to sit in that green room for 32 picks. He was outstanding at Louisville, won the Heisman. And yet people scoffed at him. Meanwhile, Trey Lance is the third pick because Twitter had a momentum built for him. Way different. You know, so I worry about San Francisco. I think they kept Garoppolo, which is smart. I really do. I worry about their team holding together because at some point, no matter how many captains that John Lynch and Kyle create, the team's going to look at the quarterback and say, we got to win. We got to win. So they would, they're too good of a team to not win. And they gave away a game in, in Chicago that they should have never given away. You know, I, I think when you look at the other teams that lost, I think every season there's always. We'll just stop it there. I don't, I don't remember if he goes on to talk, talk about the bears more, but again, I, I love a lot of those points. Number one, you can scoff all you want at Mike Martz and the fact that he was a failed quarter or coach at one point or whatever, just like all the rest of the Bears coaches have been and always will be. Um, but you're, you know, guys on Twitter can can pretend to know what they're talking about when they watch Justin Fields. Mike Martz has been there and he has developed some of the some of the premier quarterbacks in the NFL, taking guys that had done nothing and turned them into great quarterbacks. The dude knows what he's looking at when he's watching quarterbacks and he's telling you Justin Fields and Trey Lance look bad. And people should listen to guys like Mike Martz. They won't because they'll find somebody else that's an expert that says they're great. They'll listen to, you know, um, a lot of these film guys love to talk about how great everybody looks. That's kind of their big thing. Very rare. I mean, they, they might have some notes here and there, but for the most part, all they do is talk about how great people look, especially if, it, if it's trendy. You know, they love bragging on the guys that everybody's bragging on because it gets you more attention and more positive interaction. But beyond that, he, he phrased it in a way that I think is perfectly correct. He says the 49ers gave the game away, and they did. They didn't lose to the Bears. In fact, oh man, he you know what? Well, he, he has a quote in here somewhere. It might be coming up because it kind of makes sense, but he has a quote in here that I'm going to kind of look up and look into a little bit. But he says it's an old adage. I never heard it before, but teams don't win, the other team loses. And you see stuff like that. The most disciplined team is the team that's going to win. The Bears won the game. Not because they have more talent, they don't. They have less talent at just about every position except maybe quarterback. But they were the they were the and kudos, you know, kudos to their coaching staff. They were the most ready to play. They made a lot less mistakes and they just kind of took what was in front of them and made the best of their opportunities. I think they scored on like all the turnovers. I mean, it, it's it's they can't do much with what they have, but they did everything that they could with every single one of their opportunities. That's what the Bears did to win the game. The 49ers gave it away. That's what happened with the Vikings game. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and say the Vikings didn't do a good job because they did and they're a very talented team, but they were the more disciplined team. They took advantage of their opportunities. You know, I mean, we talk about how Justin Jefferson got open because of blown coverages. Well, we had a guy get open by the name of Christian Watson. He dropped the ball. It's a blown opportunity. I pointed out we had guys open down the field that didn't get the ball to him. Those were missed opportunities. We had the ball at the goal line. We could have taken three points. We didn't. That's a missed opportunity. We could have punched the ball in. You know, that's another potential opportunity that we missed. These are opportunities that are laid at your feet and you missed them. 
It's the team that screws up the least. It's the disciplined team that's going to come in, and, and more often than not, they're going to win the game. That's not always the case, but that's that's the biggest and most important thing you can do is to be a disciplined team. That's where Rodgers is constantly preaching you know, mental mistakes and mental errors being such a critical thing. It's why they harp so much on or, or like to bring in the veteran guys that know what they're doing as opposed to the rookies that don't or the young guys that don't. Because at a very basic level, if you're the team that makes the least amount of mistakes, you got a great shot. You, you play good football, you take advantage of every opportunity that's given to you, and you let the other team beat you. And the 49ers, the much more talented team, gave that game away to the Bears. That's what happened. And the other side of that, very obviously, is if Jimmy Garoppolo had played in that game, the Bears also would have lost. But they played Trey. It was a rainy game, not the whole game, but it even, even, you know, even when it wasn't raining, the field was flooded, which causes its own complications with footing, you know, running the ball and uh, as was mentioned on the PFF podcast, pass rushing. You would think it also kind of affects your ability to block for the quarterback, but maybe on a lesser scale? I don't know. Oh, man, the Chargers game is on too, isn't it? I'm not even paying attention to what I'm doing here. Almost halftime. Goodness gracious. Uh, all right, I think that's it. That's all I got for you. You folks have yourselves a fantastic day. I will talk to you tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.